Gracious Lord, we're so grateful for camp meeting. We're grateful for the opportunity to learn and grow. The only true learning comes from you. So we ask that you would be with us. We ask that your spirit would guide us, that you would fill me with what you want said, not what, what I want to say. And if there are comments and questions that would be helpful and relevant, we pray also that you would impress our class. In Jesus' name, amen. So yesterday, just to review, we talked about the philosophical foundation of Adventist education, but because Adventist educational philosophy is difficult sometimes to understand in a practical sense, we basically synthesized Adventist philosophical uh, approach down to three things called the key three. You remember the key three, right, from Indiana Academy. Uh, the key three is bringing students to the foot of the cross, having quality at all levels, and training them in the mission and message of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And what we proposed yesterday was, if a school is following those three principles, and everything that they do in their school is filtered through those three principles, we can see positive outcomes in Adventist education. Because Adventist education has a different aim, it has a different focus, and it has a different outcome. We're about character building, amen? We're about restoring in man the image of who? God. That's why we exist. So today in part two, we're going to look at the vital collaboration. What is that collaboration? It's the collaboration that is symbolized by a three-legged stool. How many of you have ever sat on a three-legged stool to milk a cow? Or, now, th that's why this young lady came to this seminar, because of the title, Three-Legged Stool. And she remembered her dad, your, your mom was on the three-legged stool at the farm, and your dad was on the one-legged stool. Your mom tried the one-legged stool, it didn't really work out. If you have a three-legged stool, you know that it is impossible for that stool to stand on its own unless there are three legs. Is that a true statement? That's a factual statement. If you take away one of the legs or you break one of the legs, you're not going to be able to have that stool stand on its own anymore. Adventist education, the success of training up a young person, the holistic picture of Adventist education has been termed the three-legged stool. Here's the reason why this three-legged stool is so important. The work of education involves the whole being. Do we agree about that? It involves the whole being. It is vital that all influential environments that a young person is in, it is important that all of these environments operate from a like-minded philosophy. So today when we expand the key three, it's going to add into the picture the home and the church environments. And when these three environments, the home, the church, and the school, work together, we will see a deeper realization of the goals that we are after, which is to restore in man the image of God, to see our young people in heaven, to train them for service on this earth and for greater service in the world to come. Okay? That's what we're after. So today we're going to look at that. How do they work together? Well, just to go back with you again, the key three, bringing students to the foot of the cross. We want conversion in our young people. 
We want them to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We want to have quality at all levels. We know that if Daniel would have had anything in his professional life that would have been subpar or shady in any way, the satraps and those that were fighting against him and were jealous of him, they would have taken him down based on the fact that he wasn't being professional and he didn't have integrity in what he was doing. But because he had quality at all levels of his life, it gave God a chance to be uplifted. If our schools have quality at all levels, then no one will be able to use an excuse for not sending their child to our school because of some kind of professional issue. They will be making a decision that really will boil down to a spiritual issue. And that's what we're after, isn't it? We want people to make a decision to put their children in our schools because of a spiritual issue. So if we run top-notch programming, then really if they decide not to, it's going to come down to a spiritual issue, not a quality issue, not a professionalism issue, not a communication issue. Okay? Lastly, what we reviewed yesterday, we want to train our young people in the mission and the message of the Seventh-day Adventist Church as found in Matthew chapter 28, Matthew chapter 25, verse 40. Those are the important benchmarks when we look at training our young people for service to others. We talked about Project 58 that we started at Indiana, that God started at Indiana Academy, giving young people an opportunity to be active in service so that they can look back on the theory that they're taught in Bible class and in church and Sabbath school and say, this thing called Christianity is real because I see how Christ through me affects other people. So those are the, the key three. And now we're going to expand those things to the home, the church, and the school. How do we bring young people to the foot of the cross in our homes? You see, friends, let me just pause for one second. One of the challenges sometimes that we have in Adventist education is that we do not have all three crucial entities working in harmony together. We might have one of the legs standing strong. For instance, in our schools, we may have spiritual programming. We may have teachers who are spiritually minded. We may have teachers who are uplifting Christ all the time. Teachers who are talking to kids and saying, how's your relationship with Christ? How are things going in your devotional life? Giving opportunities for Jesus to be uplifted. But unfortunately, the home is not modeling the same thing. And so instead of walking lockstep together, in effect, the teacher and the school are having to do reprogramming in the school because what the kids are bringing into the school. Conversely, when our schools are not representing the standards that are seen in the home, parents feel like they've got to reprogram their kids when they come home from school. Do you see what we're saying here? Are you following? So it's so important that we have all three of these entities working together as they implement the key three. So how do we bring young people to the foot of the cross in our homes? Well, let's look. First and foremost, we, and I'm talking about myself, I have four kids as we shared earlier. I'm doing everything I can to support Adventist education. I've got four kids. Putting my money where my mouth is, right? First and foremost, we as parents must have our own walk with God. We must daily find ourselves at the foot of the cross. How can I bring someone to the foot of the cross if I don't know how to get there myself? How can I bring someone to the foot of the cross if I can't 
follow the path to get there and have not been there myself. Secondly, we need to build relationships with our children. We need to spend time with our kids. Jesus Christ, when he witnessed to people on this earth, I think of the woman at the well. I think of the woman who was caught in adultery. Jesus didn't just preach theology to those people right off the bat, did he? What did he do? Help me out. What did he do? He, he healed them. He helped them. He made a connection with them. When Jesus came on that hot, dusty day to Jacob's well and sat down, and that woman came to him at the, in the heat of the day, the time when no one else was coming to the well, was the first thing he said to her after he said, can you give me a drink of water? Oh, and by the way, I know that you've had five husbands. What would have happened to that relationship? What would have happened to the potential witness that occurred in that town for the next two days? Would she have been willing to listen to him? No. She wouldn't have paid a bit of attention to him. Jesus built relationships with the people that needed conviction in their hearts. When the woman was caught in adultery, what did Jesus say? He didn't say anything in an accusation. He said to her, where are your accusers? He disarmed her fear. And then, once he was finished building that relationship with her, then he said, go and sin no more. When we are working in our homes with our children, we, I, myself as a father, must build relationships with my kids so that when the time comes for me to challenge them spiritually or to encourage them spiritually, I have some change in the bank to spend. Unfortunately, sometimes in our homes and in our schools and in our churches, we're, we're bankrupting ourselves. We're writing checks that are bouncing because we don't have those firm relationships. Having family worship, it's at those times that the Holy Spirit can work and can foster opportunities for us as parents to ask our children how they're doing spiritually, to get a gauge for where they are in their spiritual journey. Moving into this spiritual conversations with our children, we can then have opportunities to talk with them about how they're doing in their relationship with Christ. Lastly, protecting the atmosphere in our homes. This is a big issue, I think, that we're struggling with, not only in secular society, but we're struggling with it even in Adventist homes, and that is the entertainment that we bring into our homes. One of the things that Satan knows very well is that if, we provide, if he provides distractions for our kids, it's going to make it that much more difficult for them to find themselves at the foot of the cross. They won't have any desire to do that. And so we have to make sure that we're guarding the avenues of our homes so that those spiritual opportunities can come. And you know, and I'm as guilty of this as anybody else, sometimes we take things away and we create a vacuum. What we need to do, I think, more so, myself included, is push good things in that just don't leave any more room for that which is negative. What do you think? And by the way, like I said yesterday, if any of you have a comment, uh, if you have a question, something to add to what we're talking about, I like to look at it as collaborative. That's what I did when I, when I taught here in this very school. So 
please make sure to raise your hand to jump in as we move along if there are things that you think could be helpful. When our home is reflecting this principle and the school and the church are reflecting this principle, can you imagine? That child is being hit in a positive way from three different angles. Three different angles. Society is composed of families. This, this is such a powerful quote. Society is composed of families and is what the heads of families make it. Out of the heart are the issues of life and the heart of the community, of the church, and of the nation is the what? So, when we flip open the news on our phones, are we surprised? Are we surprised? The well-being of society, the success of the church, the prosperity of the nation depend upon home influences. The elevation or deterioration of the future of society will be determined by the manners and morals of the youth growing up around us. As the youth are educated and as their characters are molded in their childhood to virtuous habits, self-control, and temperance, so will their influence be upon society. If they are left unenlightened and uncontrolled, and as the result become self-willed, intemperate in appetite and passion, so will be their future influence in molding society. The company which the young now keep, the habits they now form, and the principles they now adopt are the index to the state of society for years to come. We are reaping the whirlwind of this council not being followed, and which makes it that much more important for us as we team up together, home, school, and church, to be adhering to this council. Now, are we perfect? No, we're not perfect, but we serve a perfect God. And I think when we make mistakes as parents, one of the things I try to do is to say, I'm sorry, I messed up. When I mess up, I mess up. And I need my kids to know that. The, the, the most important thing I want my kids to know at the end of the day is that I love them to death. And that I'm not a perfect parent, and I'm growing too. And when they know that, I think that they can um, still have trust in you as you journey together in a parent-child relationship. At the cross in our churches, how do our churches play a role in bringing young people to the foot of the cross. Well, you might think, well, of course, church. that's what church is for, right? But there are some real, real key things, I think, that churches can do. Some are doing it. Some probably need to improve in it. And you, as church members, can take back some of these ideas and you can encourage your pastors to really think consciously of this concept. How is the church philosophically and practically setting up their programming from Sabbath school all the way through sermon to bring young people to the foot of the cross? How are they doing that? Listen to this quote. Salvation through Christ should be the burden of every sermon. The science of salvation is to be the burden of every sermon. That's the gospel, folks. That's Christ and Him crucified. That should be the burden of every sermon, the theme of every song. Let it be poured forth in every supplication. 
let nothing be brought into the preaching of the Word to supplement Christ, the Word and power of God. Let His name, the only name given under heaven whereby we may be saved, be exalted in how many discourses? Every discourse. And from Sabbath to Sabbath, let the trumpet of the watchman give a certain sound. Christ is the science and eloquence of the gospel, and His ministers are to hold forth the word of life, presenting hope to the penitent, peace to the troubled and desponding, and grace and completeness and strength to the believing. The Voice and Speech and Song, page 337. Why do we think that this is so important? Well, I'll tell you what I think, and you can agree or disagree. If we want a young person to follow our doctrines, they've got to fall in love with the author of the doctrines. I think too many times in church, we just pound kids with what we believe, and we, we show them cognitively and, and through persuasion from the Bible about this is the why we believe this truth and this is why we believe that truth. But at the end of the day, have we really introduced them to the author of the truth, to Jesus Christ, their Savior, and that the reason why they follow these anchor points in their life is because they love the person that died for them? I mean, what do you think? Do you agree? That's the essence of why we're Seventh-day Adventists. Too many of our young people, I, I'm afraid, haven't been introduced to this concept and we just slap their hands as they journey through their Christian experience and when they get the chance to fly the coop, they fly. Because we haven't spent enough time introducing them to Christ, to Jesus. Then we can show them that everything that we do as Seventh-day Adventist Christians is motivated out of love for this Savior who died to save them. And that when we honor the Sabbath, when we believe in the biblical state of the dead, when we believe in biblical hell fire, that we're really making sure that we protect the relationship that we have with Christ. That's really what it's all about. And when I taught Bible, and I covered the doctrines, believe you me, before I got into all of those doctrines, we went through the book of Romans first. And we painted a picture, God painted a picture through the Apostle Paul of the beauty of the gospel and that everything that we were doing as Christians centered, circled around Jesus Christ as the centerpiece of everything that we did. So I think we have to be very, very careful as we journey together as a church that we are making sure our young people understand that, yes, this is what we believe, but you know why we do? Yes, it's because the Bible says it, but do you know who the author of the Bible is? Do you know what the author of the Bible did for you? He died for you. Do you know where you would have been if Jesus wouldn't have come down from heaven? Do you know that heaven did not hold any resource back? It expended every single resource it had so that you could be saved. Now we've set the stage for talking about why do we keep the Sabbath? It's not the day that we can't do anything. It's the day that we can do everything. We can spend time with our Savior. Yes, ma'am. I, I live in Florida, and I come from a large church, and I have 17 children in my primary class. Wow. One of them is from a broken home. Mm. Children are very broken. Yeah. And, and when we sit there and we say, oh, let's pray for mommy and daddy. We've got to think of the animals and the neighbors, because they don't want mommy and daddy at work. Mommy and daddy don't want fun. So uh, 
I, I came to Christ when I was five years old, and I, I, I have a real burden on my heart that they can grasp Christ because it's the only thing living to me that they have. That's right. That's right. Thank you for sharing that. I do want to say one more thing. Absolutely. Several people are older, like I am, in this class, and maybe you can afford it, but they have the, the story hour, and, and they're only $22 for for 12 yes, at the ABC. I mean, I just bought my granddaughter, you know, I mean, these are fantastic to put in your, your CD player and yep. build the relationship with Yep. I, I, I will piggyback on that. I would say 95% of all the biblical knowledge I have of Bible stories has come from your story hour. I still listen to them, like, to go to sleep. I mean, and I'm like over 40 years old, so love your story hour, absolutely. So, we won't belabor that point anymore, but I think it's so important for us to consider. And then additionally, I can't tell you how important this next one is. When we build relationships with young people in our churches, it goes a long, long ways. Uh, especially in the teenage years, um, you know, I, when I served as chaplain here and I'm a therapist by training, I counseled with a lot of young people and I will tell you that they are going through a period of self-examination. They're trying to find their identity. They're trying to figure out who they are. A lot of that self-identity is determined by the reactions that they get from other people, their peers primarily, and then the adults. And when a young person walks into church, they may not be dressed the way that we would like them to be dressed, but if they don't see a friendly and welcoming face, you can just say goodbye because they're out the door. We have to love them. We have to give them a welcoming face. And by doing that, we show them the love of Jesus. It's so important. I cannot uh, stress that enough. I grew up in the Holly Seventh-day Adventist Church, and I remember distinctly those deacons being so friendly and welcoming to me as a young person, a young teenage guy, coming into that church, bulletins in one hand, handshake in the other, just a phenomenal influence on me. Yes? I just have one more thing to say. I, I'm in charge of the kitchen, mm -hmm. and I don't want any child four years old walking out that door. They're in the kitchen learning how to call strawberries. Awesome. Learning how to, chop, learning how yeah. to carry the cake to the dessert table, learning how to fill the water pitchers. And they are proud because they know that they can come to me for a reference when they. When That's right. Everybody wants a job at a restaurant or some place of food service, they can say they did it. That's right, yep. And tell them that, that they are, they're so excited. Hey, I just want to applaud you for, for having a priority like that uh, in your church. That's wonderful. Yep. But you know what, sister? Not everybody has the mentality that you have. Um, not everybody has that mentality. It's so fun because these adults come into the kitchen and they, they just barrel in and they were going to take care of everything and that's right. Yes. That's right. Good for you. Good for you. Another point when we're looking at this concept of how the church brings young people to the foot of the cross, it's all part of this concept. If we see something in church that's concerning, pray for them. Be careful. Maybe I would change this. Don't talk about... Well, no, no, I wouldn't change that. You may need to speak with them. You may need to speak with their parent in a Christ-like way. But don't talk about them. It'll get back to them. It will get back to them. If you see something that's concerning, the amount of energy that it will take you to, to say something to somebody else or to that child is far better spent and will have much more mileage if you're transferring it to heaven in a prayer for them. Not in a criticism. Not in a, oh, I couldn't believe, could you believe that... You know, all of those things do damage. 
And we really steer kids away from even being interested in coming to the foot of the cross when those things happen. View and implement Sabbath school programming as an evangelistic effort and frequently invite children to accept Christ as their Savior. Listen, when I would get done talking about the doctrines in Bible 3 class, I would give an invitation for young people to accept Christ. I would give them an invitation to accept Jesus as their personal Savior. I am not afraid to ask a young person if they want to accept Christ. Do you know there are people that have gone through our schools, that have gone through our churches, and they are way, way too old and have never been asked if they wanted to accept Christ as their Savior. So we need to set up our Sabbath school programming and think about it evangelistically. Not just, I'm teaching my child about Daniel Lyons' den. I'm teaching my child about how to make good choices. I'm teaching my child... All those things are important, but the philosophy at which, by which we approach those things determines whether or not we're bringing students to the foot of the cross or we're just filling their head with information. Does that make sense? We want to do more than just fill their head with information. We want to fill their head with information that points them towards having a relationship with Christ. As Christ did, meet children where they are. Demonstrate kindness and love and show them how to follow Jesus. I would challenge you, if you feel like your church needs to be more evangelistically minded as far as young people are concerned, talk to your pastor. Talk to your Sabbath school superintendent. Do whatever you need to do so that your church is an atmosphere that is ripe for young people to make a decision for Jesus. At the foot of the cross in our schools, we talked about this yesterday, but just a quick review. It's more than Bible class and worship. Do not, we cannot in Adventist education lean on Bible class and worship as our crutches for bringing students to the foot of the cross. Are those things very important? Yes, they are. But there's nothing more valuable than building a personal relationship with a student. Teacher to student relationship. That relationship is the bridge that you can begin to talk to a student in a spiritual, uh, in a spiritual way and ask them questions and give them an opportunity to respond. We must have an intentional philosophy in the way we view the purpose and function of our schools. They are evangelism centers, period. That's the only reason why they exist, is to bring young people into the kingdom of heaven, to train them how to take that beautiful relationship that they have with Jesus, and in whatever field they are called to work in, whether it be accounting, whether it be a lawyer, a doctor, a teacher, a nurse, whatever it may be, an electrician, a mechanic, it doesn't matter what it is, they have been equipped and trained how to share their experience with somebody else. That's why we exist. And if our schools do not have that philosophy in how they operate, they're going to fail. They're going to fail because this is what God ordained our schools to be. Each day... A teacher needs to have a burden for the soul of their students. I want our teachers to have a burden that our kids are prepared in math. Are you kidding? I don't want a kid to graduate eighth grade from an elementary school and only have a fourth grade math level. That wouldn't be very good, would it, Diane? <laughs> That'd be terrible. That would be terrible. But really, a far greater priority, and this is a big one, the academic side, a far greater priority is that our teachers have a burden for the souls of those kids. And that when they get up and go to work, they're thinking about 
you know, Lord, please give me an opportunity to talk to Johnny today. I know he's struggling, and I just would love to have an opportunity to pray with him. And the Lord will create that intersection. That's the teacher's ministry mindset. Yes, Daniel. I just say that that right there, it, it bolsters your academics because I've had kids that they've had troubles in school. And yeah. when you, you know, you're, you're in that class and that's when their, their trouble presents itself. That's right. And I've had to take them you know, aside and I've talked to them and it's really something else that's going on. It's not math class that's bothering them. And when you, yeah. when you show that care for them, when you show that you're interested in what's going on in their lives and that you care about their their relationship with God and you know what they're feeling, then they go back to class and they're ready to get those lessons, they're ready to understand the concepts that you're trying to give them because they know that you care about everything that's going on and not just that you want to shove that. Mm. Down mm. I'm so glad you brought that up because I think that, that was well stated and, and really truly at the core. When, when we do build those relationships with our kids and we talk to them about the spiritual things, many times it does open them up to share about some of the issues that they're having that are truly interfering with their ability to learn. And so I'm so glad you brought that up because that is right on point. Each day a student walks the halls of our schools. They should have a clear knowledge that Jesus loves them and be challenged to love Him back. <clears throat> when a young person walks the halls of any one of our schools, it would grieve my heart if any of those students didn't feel that the Spirit of God was so palpable in that school that every day that they walked those halls, they felt the presence of Christ and the love of Christ enveloping them. That is what a student should feel. That's one of the ways that our schools can bring young people to the foot of the cross. They can create a climate in that school where those students know that they can go to a teacher and talk to them about their relationship with Christ, where they know that it's a safe environment, where they know that Jesus Christ is uplifted and He's the number one priority in everything that happens in that school. That's what each student should feel. It becomes their choice whether they accept it, you understand, of course but we would never want a child to ever leave and say, I never was given the choice. I didn't feel like that was really that much of a big deal. The teacher is the conduit and models the love of Christ each day to students. You know, students will remember probably 10% of the academics that we teach them, but they will never, ever forget, they will never, ever forget the relationship that they had with a teacher. Now, I want you to take 10 seconds and I want you to think of your all-time favorite teacher. Okay? Your all-time favorite teacher. And then I want you to think about why that teacher was your all-time favorite teacher. Just, and I, I'm gonna, I won't probably be able to take everybody, but I'm just going to randomly pick a few of you, and I want you to share who your favorite teacher was and why they were your favorite teacher. And keep it to like 30 seconds. Okay? Think about that. You have some names that are coming to mind? If you're not having names come to mind, I am so sorry. <laughs> Hopefully you all have had... Go ahead. Uh, Roger Pratt. Roger Pratt. <clears throat> um, some didn't like him, but I like him. He 
Michael Knox teacher, <coughs> and he was a boys' dean too. He was with me, and I don't know what the team principal, but uh, I always remembered that he said, "You don't go by feeling; you go by principal." Because you get a lot of good feelings with him every day. But, <laughs> but you go by principal and not feeling. Awesome. Thank you so much. How about you? I did not grow up in a Catholic school. That's okay. Um, I had a handful of favorites, but um, I would have to say that the teachers who met to us every day were my favorites. Those are some of the, the fond memories of that time after lunch and all. Yes, 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 yes. Yes. The teacher would just read to you. Yes. That was, you know, I had a male teacher named Mr. Reno. After lunch, I just remember just being relaxed and just listening to his voice as he goes Oh, cool. Very cool. How about you? Me? Yes. Um, I have a lot of favorite teachers, but one that sticks out in my memory is my Spanish teacher in high school. Okay. The academy. I went to Ozark. Okay. Pastor yeah. Easley. Okay. And I just, I feel like he really, truly cared about us. Mm. When I wanted to drop Spanish too, it was so hard. He tried to counsel me out of doing that. <laughs> um, awesome. I didn't listen, but he was caring about, he was really caring about me. Very um, cool. And really, he would come to us and he would talk to us about things. Like mm. He tried to counsel me. We don't have fun. That I shouldn't have dropped Spanish too. <laughs> Which now that I have, but okay. he was right. You know. How about you? Well, I was privileged to have my mother as a teacher. <laughs> wow, cool. And I had two very Catholic parents. And besides the influence at home, that carried on with her students uh, at school too. Mm. And there are kids that I went to school with. Kids that she taught, that she has been with Awesome. Awesome. How about you? Barry Martin. Barry Martin. Awesome. Any particular reason? He was just he was a well rounded man and a godly man. He cared about all of his students. And nobody felt like a dunce at home. So he was he included everybody as the family in the classroom. One more. Okay, I came from a very troubled home, and I went to public school, and I was in kindergarten, and this lady comes in, and she's at this, my public school, and she's a Christian, and she has a flannel board, and she has an accordion, and once a month I'd see her, and I would just beg to carry her accordion or help her with her flannel pieces, and I still teach with flannel pieces because I know you can be converted at age five. Wow. 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 I would venture to say, thank you for sharing, I would venture to say that most of you did not pick your favorite teacher in your mind because of how incredibly academically gifted they were. Would that be a true statement? It was more about how they treated you, how they cared about you, how they wrapped their arms around you, how they made you feel included in everything that happened in the classroom, um, how they gave you good advice about life. Again, am I diminishing academics? Absolutely not. My boss is in here. Okay? <laughs> academics are super important. Don't miss the point. But what I'm trying to say is the relationship that we have with our students in Adventist education or in public school, we are the conduits that model the love of Christ each and every day. And that is what makes an eternal difference. The academics are super important because that's the field God will call us into someday to be a missionary to share the love of Christ with somebody else. Okay?
So as we move on, Testimonies, Volume 6, Most earnest attention must be given to the education which will impart a knowledge of salvation and will conform the life and character to the divine similitude. It is the love of God, the purity of soul, woven into the life like threads of gold that is of true worth. The height man or woman may thus reach has not been fully realized. Powerful quote. So how do we have quality in our homes? We've talked about bringing students to the foot of the cross in our homes, in our churches, and in our schools. Now we're moving to the second of the key three. Are you following so far? Okay. The second of the key three is quality in our homes. How do we have quality in our homes? Well, you can see from the quote that we read earlier and from looking at the news that there must be something wrong in our homes because we're seeing the, the consequences of it in society. How do we have quality in our homes? How many of you have taken note of a young child, no matter how old they are, or a teenager, who just seems to have a different quality about them? They're respectful of adults. They lend a hand when there's a need. They may pick up a piece of trash with nobody not aware that anybody's looking. All of those things come from a training that's happening in the home that is trying to teach quality, teaching respect for adults, respect for each other, intentionally discipling our young people on how to have appropriate behavior in the church, in the school, and in public, how to be good citizens, what it means to have an inside voice and an outside voice, what it means to pull a door open for an elderly person or for a young man to pull a door open for a young lady, how to treat each other with respect when it comes to respecting each other's property. All of those types of things our homes can play a role in. Teaching our young people to be punctual. This is a big deal, punctuality. Do you know that I had somebody tell me one time, and I've never forgotten it, when we are late to an appointment, we are stealing someone else's time. Now, things happen, obviously. But if we are consistently, habitually late, we are stealing other people's time. And it's a good thing for us to remember. And it's a good thing for us to teach our children. Mrs. Gammon was the vice principal uh, here at the academy for many, many years. She was my vice principal, and I worked with her for 10 years here. And there would be times when people would call and, and want to do reference checking on students that had been at the academy, and they would ask about attendance records. How was their attendance? And so in our homes, in the way that we conduct ourselves, we need to do our best to show what punctuality looks like. Teaching our young people to have a work ethic. We should have our children help around the house and have different responsibilities that they have. When I was a kid, we had dish duty. I was the vacuumer. We had to, I mean, there were things that we had to do. In my home, my children have responsibilities that they care for. They, they have kitchen duty every other day. They have their Sabbath responsibilities. All those things teach them what it means to work, what it means to contribute. And so when they get into the workforce later on, it's not some new thing. It's not some new phenomenon. It's not a new boot camp that they have to go through in life. They've already been exposed to it to some degree. And then they can know uh, how to contribute in, in what they're doing. No, I don't. No. I don't give them an allowance. Um, you know, money's tight for one thing. But, you know, I, I don't know. There's different philosophies about that. Um, 
my daughter is going to babysit for us some this summer. And when she moves from, from doing chores to doing babysitting, we're going to be paying her for that. We view that as different. We view that as a job. The chores and help that she does around the house, we view as part of the family contribution to help our machine continue to move down the road. And the other thing I want to make sure that my kids understand is that there's a reward in work that, that money can't really equate with. There's an intrinsic value in knowing you've completed something, and the reward is just in knowing the satisfaction that you've done it, not, you know, where, where's my money, where's my money, you know? So that's... I do find that with an allowance, though, we have noticed that with the, the chores that our son does, that it, the money thing, it really, really, you can see him really thinking about when he wants something. If we go somewhere, we say, okay, if you want something, then you need to bring your own money. It's a lot different True. When he's spending his own money than when he's spending mom and dad's money. True. Because if he wants something, he's going to save for it. Yep. Oh, I don't want to have this because I want to save for that. Yeah. But we do see that. It's a good point. That's a good. It's a very good point, and they'll they'll treat it better if they bought bought it with their own money. So yeah, there's some wisdom in that for sure. Thank you for sharing that. Um, responsibility, thoughtfulness, um, personal representation. What does that mean? Well, it means that our young people know how to clean themselves. They know how to dress. They know how to conduct themselves when they're talked to by an adult. They look the adult in the face, in the eyes. They answer in a way that can be heard, speaking to adults, etc. These are some of the things that we can do in our homes that will reflect a level of quality. Are we trying to show off? Are we trying to be braggadocious about, hey, look at my kids? No, we're trying to teach our kids to be good citizens, to, be, to demonstrate that there's a quality about them um, that people look at and say, wow. And then in the process of that, just like Daniel and just like Joseph, they are saying, boy, I wonder why that kid is like that. And then we begin to have an opportunity to witness that it's really Jesus Christ in the home that is the reason why we're acting the way that we act. Just like Daniel. Quality in our churches. This is just as important. Our Sabbath school classes should be the most professionally run part of our church service. Anybody disagree? Go ahead, disagree. We need to have good quality church services where we have the sermon and we have the special musics and all that stuff. But I'm telling you right now, our Sabbath schools need to be run way better than our church services do. Because those are the young, impressionable minds. That is where we are planting seeds and forming character. It is in those Sabbath school classes that we are training the future adults who will be conducting our church services. And our Sabbath schools need to be the most important part of what we do as a church. When we're doing nominating committee, we need to choose our Sabbath school teachers and our Sabbath school superintendents first before we choose anybody else. That's my opinion. Because those are the people that are in the trenches with those little kids and who are making lifelong impact on their life. And some of those kids, like what you're describing, some of those kids don't have home lives that are concentrating on bringing them to the foot of the cross or on quality teaching. And we as a church and we as schools have to sometimes supplement where they're not getting it in the home. And if we're not having good quality Sabbath school classes, we're failing our kids. We're failing them. So that's a really, really important thing. 
Um, I'm, I'm so pleased with the Sabbath school departments at our church in Lansing because um, my daughter, one time I asked her, um, trying to remember exactly how it went, but sometimes at Sabbath worship in the evening, we'll ask our kids what their favorite part of Sabbath was for them. And if I'm remembering the story correctly, my daughter, uh, Maya, the third youngest, she said her favorite part, of Sabbath, was favorite part of Sabbath that day was Sabbath school. And that really was powerful to me because it told me that she valued the experience that she was getting in her Sabbath school class and it was making a lifelong impact on her. Very, very powerful. We have one Sabbath school leader, kindergarten, Diane Dowell. And I mean, they don't just run a tip-top Sabbath school class, they have parties for those kids. And I suspect they're spending their own money. They have one every quarter. And they not only bring them in and have pizza and play games and just have a ball with the kids, they give them goodie bags. Before school starts, they'll have a party and they'll have all these pencils and erasers and all kinds of things that they give in nice bags. That has a huge impact on these kids. Guess what? My daughter, when she grows up, she's going she's gonna to remember Mrs. Dowell for how kind she was and how she made her feel important. And I mean, anyway, I could go on about that, but it's so valuable. Our worship services should be organized and well-planned, not stiff and you know militant, but they should have some, some good planning in them. Churches should be clean, neat, and representative of who we are. And if we look at the earthly tabernacle and we see the way the Levites cared for the sanctuary, we should take that as a lesson as well organizational structure and process that models the earthly tabernacle in its orderliness. How do we have quality in our schools? Well, we need to have professionalism in our educators. We need to make sure that we're communicating information to parents in a timely manner. We've got our grades out to them, that we are communicating through newsletters, that we're making sure they understand when field trips are, when all of these different things are happening, and that when they question us and ask us things, we're treating them with great and awesome customer service. We as an education department need to make sure that we're providing leadership training for our teachers. We want to make sure that we're having excellent academic instruction in the classroom. I went to a school and visited um, a couple of years ago and this one teacher had one room school teacher and there we were outside and her eighth grader had finished the math book and was working on the next year's math already. Um, does that need to happen everywhere? No, but it just shows that this teacher had really, really done an excellent job in academic instruction and was accelerating the, the student as that student was, was able to do. We need to make sure, as I talked about yesterday, that our hiring standards focus on the spiritual qualities as the highest priority, and I will guarantee you that that is the top priority for uh, Diane and I in the office, that our teachers are representative of Christ in what they do. Um, obviously, sometimes we have situations that um, you can't account for, but as, as good as possible, we make sure that we do that. How do we train our young people in the mission and message of the Adventist Church in our homes? Well, first of all, we should look at our homes as little evangelism centers. We should have strategies in our homes of how we're going to seek and save the lost. Our homes should support the church in its evangelism efforts and getting our young people involved. I was so excited to see my middle daughter, Sophia, 
be trained in on how to run the AV board. And she actually was put in charge, kind of like what you're talking about. And there were all these other older guys there, and she was put in charge. And the guy that headed up the whole sound system, he left one time and said, okay, next meeting, you know, you're in charge. And we'd take her to the meetings, and she'd get up there, and she'd run, all the, run the board and do all of those different things. Um, and it was just a wonderful experience. Those young people walk away from those evangelism series, and they feel like they helped contribute to a person being one for Christ. And that has a huge impact on their own experience. We want our children to understand the gospel and feel comfortable giving a testimony for the faith that is within them. And that can be just something as simple as in family worship, talking to your kids about what they believe, asking them, what, what, do, you, what do you believe as a Christian? If someone asked you, sometimes we'll ask those questions, what if somebody asked you, you know, and then we process you know, how you would talk to a person uh, in those situations. When we look at our churches, I've talked, I touched on this a little bit, we should make sure our young people feel that they're a vital part of the evangelism of the local church. As appropriate, they should be included in all facets of, in, of evangelism. In the planning, hey, why don't you tap some of the wisdom that a, a, the young kid has, some of the ideas that these young kids have? It's amazing. Give them the opportunity to be a part of the planning, the pre-meetings, the involvement in the actual series, and even the follow-up. Help them take ownership in what it is that's happening. Here's one that we do see sometimes. It's, if it's possible to have the kids be an important part of the church when it comes to offices. Yes, we do junior deacons, junior elders, whatever, but I want to take it a step further. What if we had junior board members? junior Sabbath school leaders, junior clerks, and treasurers. Why don't we have a kid who loves math and who really has an aptitude for math but doesn't feel like they want to get up front and talk in front of people? They don't want to give special music. They're not really interested in all these things, but they really are good at math or they're really interested in all of those different things. Why don't we bring them alongside the, the, the clerk or the treasurer and just have them be a part of it as it is appropriate? Why do we limit them? Potluck coordinators. Some kids have the gift of hospitality. How about helping them coordinate a potluck? We can't be afraid to let our kids make mistakes because it's when you make mistakes, it's how you learn. And when our young people become adults, they're going to already know what it means to be a valuable part of their church. This is one of the ways that our church can help train young people in the mission and message of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. So how do we train our kids in our schools to be a part of that mission and message? We talked about this again yesterday. The third angel's message, the great testing truth for this time is to be taught in all our institutions. God designs that through them, this special warning shall be given and bright beams of light shall shine to the world. Time is what? Time is short, and this was written, of course, in the 1800s. If she said time is short then, I mean, we don't really have any time now. Service and outreach in our schools should be a culture and not just an event. Folks, I cannot stress that enough. I can't stress it enough. We cannot view Bible labs and outreach projects as punching a time card. I got it. We're done. We did our thing. Yes, we're doing outreach. Yes, we did, we did this, we did that, and the other. 
outreach and service should be woven, in my opinion, woven into the very curriculum of our schools. It's part of who we are. I talked to you yesterday about Project 58. We have a couple Indiana, one graduate from Indiana Academy, and you just graduated, didn't you, from Indiana Academy? And you were down there, Clayton, you were there, what, three of... Okay. Can you share a little bit about your involvement in Project 58 and the impact that it I put you on the spot. I did not arrange this ahead of time, by the way. Do you mind sharing? Last year, not sorry, yesterday we talked about an initiative that we started at Indiana Academy in 2011, I think it was, or 2010, where we once a month went out into the community and we did service to the community. Single Moms Oil Chains, Meals on Wheels, visited prisons, all kinds of different things. And these two had the opportunity to participate in Project 58, and I didn't arrange this ahead of time. And can you tell us a little bit about? No, um, no. Just like you said, uh, it was nice once a month you know, to stop. And, uh, everything that we did as a school was brought and served. And like you said, uh, we would have a group that would uh, bake bread and uh, just go out in town and pass them out, and then. Uh, we had a group, yes, that went into jail, mm -hmm. and I had the opportunity to do that, and I actually uh, brought my guitar, and it was so powerful to like sing songs um, with with people there, and like watch them cry, and like, just you know feel 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 the presence of God there, and like you said, it puts uh, Christianity. Um, as an actual real thing and yeah. an active thing. Yeah. And um, I can tell you, um, as a student, yeah, that was awesome. Praise the Lord. That's Thank you so much. Anything to add to that? Not to put you on the spot, but I don't want to leave you out either. Um, I was homeschooled through grade 10 and then spent my senior year here in the And uh, that's one of the things that really stuck out about Indiana Academy because we were there with that program we've already set up. And um, it was really cool to be able to go. There were lots of different groups mm -hmm. that you could have done. So we had a big But different things to help connect with the community and to do something that wasn't really academic, but yeah, mm -hmm. was something that could help people get Christian and make that. Amen. Thank you for sharing that. There was a a man-made reservoir in Cicero, Indiana, where the school was. And along the bank of that reservoir, one of the main roads that went into town, I mean, the, the weeds and whatever that marshy stuff was just growing all up. And I, I don't know who it was, the, the older guys from the VFW or something, I'm not sure, but they would go and clean that out. And we, we one year, went in there and those guys, those guys were in there just cutting that stuff down. They were so appreciative. They were so appreciative that a school would take the time to do that. And when you build relationships, here's the concept that always ran through my mind. When we as schools make service and outreach part of the culture of our school, not just an event, when we build relationship, consistent relationships with our community, guess what? There's going to come a time when Seventh-day Adventists are going to be accused of some really horrible things. And you know what? 
There's going to be people in those communities, I feel, and I get, I get shivers when I, when I say this, there are going to be people in those communities they are going to say, you know what, that is completely inconsistent with the people that I know that were Seventh-day Adventists. Those, those kids used to come out and they used to do acts of kindness all the time. They did some really nasty jobs. One lady's going to stand up, she's going to say, they came out and they like cleaned out my horse stall and it was like two foot deep in manure. They cleaned up that, they did that nasty job at the reservoir. No way. That cannot be true. And they're going to have an opportunity to accept the truth. Can you say amen? That's the beauty of making service and outreach part of your culture. And, and it's really acts of kindness. Yes, we need to bring them the truth, but friends, we need to follow Christ's model. We want to evangelize people's minds so much before we've evangelized their heart. And when you have service and outreach as part of your culture, you're evangelizing people's heart, you're softening that soil, and they're going to be more susceptible to accept the truth somewhere down the road, especially as we near the end of time and we're going to be accused of being something that we truly aren't. If we haven't built relationships with our community and shown them the love of Christ by serving them, when that crunch time comes, they're going to look at us and say, oh yeah, they are kooky. But if we've built relationships with them and we've been kind to them and we brought their kids out and done acts of kindness to, for them, they're going to say, you know what, that's not true. Clayton. No, um, I, I heard when you were down there and uh, you shared the story um, how some of us went out and we gave a loaf of bread to, to this lady yep. and she ended up um, wanting her kids to actually get involved that's right. with us as well. Yep. And she also... Uh, Send her kids to our church school. Yes. All because of the loaf of bread. That's right. Amen. We shared that story yesterday, and but I didn't include the loaf of bread. Yeah, we, we did. We would make loaves of bread from the old bakery recipe. We actually called the previous food, uh, food service director that worked at the academy. They had a big bakery and a big, huge... Some of you that have worked in bakeries, you know those big, huge ovens that, are, that have shelves that turn like that? Well, Indiana Academy has one of those humongous ovens. So we found the old recipe. The kids would actually go with the teacher. They would literally make the bread themselves. They would package the bread. We had labels for the bread with brochures about the academy. And then we would just go out in the community and we'd just hand out bread to people. And this lady who, who got that loaf of bread, she called us up and said, I'd like my homeschooled kids to be part of that ministry. Would it be okay for them to be a part of it? I said, ah, I don't think so. No, I said, absolutely. You know, and you know what was so powerful? I think she called the church first. And then the church transferred her over to my number. So yeah, just so many powerful things can happen through service and outreach. It needs to be a culture of our schools. This is a quote I read yesterday. It is necessary to their complete education that students be given time to do missionary work. I won't read the rest of it. But it is necessary to their complete education. So, like yesterday, if we're not doing service and outreach, are our kids getting a complete education? They're not. They're not. So the three-legged stool, the three-legged stool is the home, the church, and the school. Now, going down the road, if you hear somebody talk about Adventist education and the training up of a young person, and they talk about the three-legged stool, you'll know what the three-legged stool is. It's the home, the church, and the school working together. Implementing the key three. Those three principles synthesized
from that beautiful book, The Book Education. Bringing young people to the foot of the cross. Conversion in their hearts. A relationship with Jesus. Having quality at all levels. Quality seen in the biblical story of Daniel and the biblical story of Joseph. There was not a fault found in them. And because of that, they had an opportunity then to witness for Christ. Friends, if we don't have quality in our schools, we are hampering our ability to witness for God because people are going to find fault with something we're doing in the professional realm. If we're doing everything good and we have our T's crossed and our I's dotted, then it's going to be a spiritual issue that we're going to have the opportunity to witness for. And lastly, training young people in the mission and message of the church. You know, just like, <laughs> just like the three-legged stool, how many of you have ever ran in a three-legged race? <laughs> you know, they call it a three-legged race, but do you know that it's really a four-legged race? You know, you put, you put your, feet in the, the, your foot in the bag and you, you know, it looks like it's three legs, but how many is it? It's four. Two working in harmony. Yeah. Do you know that the three-legged stool is really a four-legged stool? It's just like you don't see the fourth leg really in a three-legged race. You don't see the fourth leg in the three-legged stool because that fourth leg is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the fourth leg of the three-legged stool. And when we have him with us, we can be guaranteed to see success in Adventist education, to see success in our homes, to see our churches, our schools, and our homes working in harmony. Because in a three-legged race, all four legs have to work together. If we have Jesus in our schools, in our homes, in our churches, we'll win the race. Paul talks about a race, doesn't he? He talks about that race. And you know what? There's not only one winner. All of us, all of us can win. As men and women profess to believe the truth for this time, we have no right to place ourselves in any wrong relation to God or His cause. We have a work to do for the Master, a work to do for the rising generation. We cannot afford to send our childcare to the public schools. This has been presented to me for years, Ellen White says. For years we have been establishing schools, sorry for the typo, but they are not perfected yet. There are some who think that we must pattern after the schools of the world if we would give our youth a complete education. What we need to give them is a complete education in that book which assures us of that life that measures with the life of God. If we will obey His commandments, we shall live. This is the book of books. It is to be the great study book for all who profess the name of Christ. My brethren and sisters, do not neglect your children. Teach them that they have souls to save or to lose. Teach them to come into right relation to God. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It was because of such a training as this that Daniel and his fellows... When they were taken captives to Babylon, were able to stand the test. They had received the education that God gives, and he was able to make right impressions on their minds. Review and Herald, 1909. We're at a crossroads. We're at a crossroads in Adventist education, in our homes, and in our churches. It makes me think of the story of Elisha in 2 Kings 13 verses 14 through 20, where Joash the king came to him when Elisha was dying, and he said, Oh, Elisha, 
the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha said, take a bow. So he took the bow and he put an arrow in it. Open up the window eastward. And Joash pulled back the, the string of that bow. And Elisha put his hands over the king's hands and he shot the arrow. And Elisha said something like the victory of the Lord because they were fighting the, the Syrians. And then Elisha said, take some arrows and strike the ground. You know the story? Strike the ground. And Joash, in his kingly ret, with his kingly retinue and his kingly robes, maybe he felt weird, maybe he felt insecure, but he bent over and struck the ground how many times? Three times. And poor Elisha, on his deathbed, the last thing we see recorded about him is that he was very angry. <laughs> he said, why did you strike the ground three times when you could have struck the ground five or six times and you would have completely routed the Syrians? Now you will only win three battles. And friends, I take this personally. God has put the arrows in our hands and He says, strike the ground. Are we going to strike it three times and only see partial success? Are we going to strike it three times and, and just have two and a half legs of the three-legged stool? Or are we going to strike it five, six, seven, ten times and see complete victory in the lives of our kids? It's really up to us. It's up to you. What is our answer today? Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you so much for giving us Adventist education, for giving us this wonderful concept of how our schools, churches, and homes can work in conjunction and collaboration to see young people saved for your kingdom and to equip them to want to save other people. Lord, help us to be willing to step forward and to have courage to address weaknesses in any of these three legs so that we can be as stable and as fortified as we need to be on behalf of these precious gifts that you've given us, our young people. Bless each one of my brothers and sisters here in this room, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.